Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Connecting ALS. Before we start this week's episode, we wanted to let you know that it does feature some adult content as we are covering the topic of intimacy. Just giving you a heads up, hope you enjoy the episode. Remember who you are to each other. You guys are special to each other and that's a role that has to stay intact. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Connecting ALS. I am one of your hosts, Mike Stevenson, and I am connected via the internet to my co-host, Jeremy Holden. Hey there, Jeremy. Did you have a relaxing 4th of July weekend? I did. I, w- I was up at the northern shore of the United States, up in Lake Erie, visiting some family. Had a nice socially distanced, but nice 4th of July. How about you? Yeah, that sounds good. Something very similar. We, we had a socially distant barbecue in my parents' backyard here in the Twin Cities. A little bit warmer than we're used to here in the Twin Cities Metro mid-90s for the weekend, but all in all, a really nice time. I hope that everyone listening had a lovely and relaxing weekends as well. For this week's show, we are covering a topic that ALS clinicians and other listeners have suggested we delve into, and it's one that isn't always easy to talk about. I'm referring to intimacy in relationships where ALS is present. We found an expert in Dr. Alaire Altiero out of Penn State's Hershey Medical Center. Dr. Altiero works with the Greater Philadelphia chapter of the ALS Association and was able to share some insight into how both physical and emotional intimacy can be impacted by ALS, Jeremy. Yeah, she did. And it was a very insightful conversation, you know, and not just how these conversations unfold, how she has these conversations with her patients, but really how they come up, where they emerge from, and then kind of who initiates these conversations. Really excited to bring this conversation to our listeners. Absolutely. Let's listen back to our interview with Dr. Alaire Altiero now. We're on the phone today with Dr. Alaire Altiero, a mental health professional based out of Penn State's Hershey Medical Center in Pennsylvania. She works with the ALS Association's Greater Philadelphia chapter and has spent a good portion of her career working in a clinical setting with families facing ALS on things like grief therapy, end-of-life issues, and dream analysis. Thank you, Dr. Altiero, for joining us on Connecting ALS. Thank you for having me. We'll cover a few of those topics today, but we want to lean on your expertise around intimacy in relationships where ALS is present. It's a topic that a number of our listeners have been asking for us to explore for a while now, so we feel fortunate to be bringing your your knowledge to the conversation, doctor. The subject of intimacy can be difficult for many of us to discuss outside of our relationships or at least beyond our trusted networks. In your experience, Dr. Altiero, do couples dealing with ALS feel comfortable bringing it up during a clinic visit? Or is it something you broach? Are those conversations common? You know, I find it interesting when you say that many of your listeners had asked for this topic to come up because I actually don't find that it's a topic that comes up that often in clinic with patients or their loved ones, their partners. I can honestly almost think of the couples by name that had come up with this as an issue that they wanted to to speak about. That's how infrequently it has, has been something people want to talk about. And, you know, to, to think about why that would be, you know, for, for me, I think that just based on the conversations in general, I have with patients and loved ones, it seems to be the biggest issues people face are, first of all, the shock of the diagnosis, 
how that's an ever-changing illness, ALS in itself. So it's the worry of what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Right. And that, that anxiety of the future and the planning for that, the change in the roles of the familial roles of taking over different tasks within the, the family. And then the biggest thing is financial burden. So I, I, I think with all of that going on, I think, unfortunately, uh, intimacy on whatever level that might be, whether we're talking sexually or just connection physically, it becomes something that's more on the, the back burner. Mm-hmm. Communication is definitely something that, that comes up quite often. And yes, that does play into intimacy if we're looking at it from that end, but not if we're looking at it from, from purely a, a sexual or physical and I, I can tell you that that's not something that comes up that often. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you touch on the, I guess, the hierarchy of needs that mm-hmm. arises after a diagnosis. I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on whether there's a, a discomfort or a, a, almost a societal taboo about broaching that subject. Do you think that that comes into play? I, I mean, it, it may. I'm not sure. I can't, you know, I can't speak for people. Um, The ones that do discuss it with me, it's usually around their concern that some of the medications, especially the ones that I talk about with them having to do with with mood, many of those do uh, affect sexual functioning, whether that's the ability to have an erection or to even have any sexual desire or reach orgasm. So that does come up and people are pretty open about talking about that. People also talk about not feeling physically desirable because of appearance that changes due to the the illness. So there's a loss of self-esteem. Right. Or, you know, not feeling like they are couples anymore because of the changes in role of becoming more medical staff to each other, patient, patient care, patient nurse type of situation. So, I mean, when it does come up, people are pretty open about talking about it. I mean, we do ask people how how is your um, you know intimate life, and I do say to them, you know, that can mean a lot of different things. So I do bring up the topic myself, and uh, people talk more about about connection as in communication or you know having any time like together, mm. but. Uh, sexually, they don't bring it up. And again, I, I can't say if I think that that's because they're uncomfortable talking about it or if it's just something that with all that's going on, it's not something that's important to them or who knows what people's relationship was before that. I mean, sex isn't always something that's in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it never was a big, a big thing. And now especially it's really not something that's all that important. I, I don't know. Yeah, that that could be true. There's so many factors that go into that. And obviously, everyone's progression through ALS is different. But as physical strength declines and muscular function is lost, you mentioned communication and the feeling of closeness and connection. Is it about absent of, of some muscular function and, and being able to you know partake in traditional sexual practices and roles? Is it about finding different ways and new ways to be intimate with one another that maybe aren't necessarily as demanding in the physical sense? So I had spoken to when when things do come up, you know, I, I will 
speak to some of our other uh, team members, like the physical and occupational therapist, because when it does come up in conversation to me, I'll recommend that the families talk to the physical and occupational therapist about ways to modify their physical activities, because that's not my, my area. And I don't want to talk about things that I don't know mm-hmm. about. And I had asked, you know, does this come up? Do they people ask you about this other than talking to me? And you know, it doesn't come up with them either. The nurses say the same. And I had spoken to our neurologist actually when I first started uh, some time ago. Do people ever, you know, shy away from some of the medications, whether they're the benzodiazepines, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors about, you know, some some of the uh, side effects uh, regarding sexual functioning. And, you know, he also stated it doesn't come up that often. So, you know, Again, I, I I think that people who who do have a, a sexual life, I, I I'm supposing that they maybe they talk to each other. I mean, we do have a lot of uh, support groups. There are, I mean, someone once said to me, it's very interesting that you know if you have ALS, it's it's a terrible disease to have, but on the other end. It's a, it's a great one to have in regards to uh, support because there are so many support resources out there. And I wonder also if because people don't often come to the professionals like myself or my team members, do people talk to each other about this? Mm. Other couples who have ALS, how do they connect intimately how do they modify their their you know sexual position so to say just like you would with like somebody else who was a friend um in the same kind of boat maybe it's easier talking to someone who's actually going through it than you know someone who's not like myself or the team members right you know we we hear from folks with als that often describe it as a disease of loss you mentioned earlier that in addition to the loss of maybe physical intimacy that that you've heard from people who discuss the 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 loss of that feeling of desirability that they don't they don't see themselves that way talk to us a little bit about the conversations you have with people dealing with that sense of loss yes there's i mean there's so many different senses of loss there's a loss of obviously feeling like let's say your your body is in a way, rejecting you, or, or, or some—it's not—it's not responding mm-hmm. to you the way that you used to. So it's like you don't know your yourself anymore. You have a loss of identity. You know your your job, your maybe the, your role you had in the family. So there's there's that loss. Physically, you look at yourself in in the mirror. You don't look at like you used to be, and now you have to rely on other people. So your self-esteem is going down. You know, people people talk about feeling like they're not of, of use anymore. They're a burden. There's so much going on. People don't, you know, why do you love me anymore? You know, I'm not, I, you know, I don't look physically like I used to. I can't do these things. So the conversations that come up are, you know, did, did your partner fall in love with you just because you had the sexiest legs there ever were? Mm. You know, did did they fall in love with you because you were the best mechanic on the on the planet? Mm-hmm. You know, no. You know, you fall in love with a person as a whole with all these different things, and and who you really are inside is who someone falls in love with, and that doesn't change. And usually, I mean, I I haven't anybody 
anybody's partner say, no, no, it really was their legs. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's usually, you know, something that they don't look at. And it, that's, that's where that connection and those conversations start to open up again is that, you know, that, that love was really through thick and thin. And if the roles were reversed, if the other person was in that position, you would still love them for, for who they are. And even though there is so much loss going on physically and maybe in roles or just the physical life, there's also a, a lot of gain. If you can look at it from a different angle, mm. you have closer connections, probably closer than you would ever have had before, because there's a different type of in intimacy right now. You're getting to know your partner and other people on a deeper level than you probably wouldn't have. You know, you're getting people to come into your life that you wouldn't have known cared about you that much. So you're getting to know yourself in a, in a deeper level. So I think that if you're able to see the, the, the positives and the gains rather than just the loss, some of those self-esteem and, and grief and depression can be lifted. That's, that's really an interesting way to look at it. And thank you for sharing some of the insight that you have gleaned from your conversations with individuals and couples around intimacy. You mentioned a little bit earlier the occasional difficulty between the adjustment of roles in couples relationships where, you know, you're going from intimate partner relationship to more of a patient caregiver or patient nurse relationship in some instances. And what advice do you offer couples in, in terms of overcoming that or course correcting a little bit and, and trying to say, you know, obviously the, the way that we interact is going to be different now and going forward, but we still want to maintain that sense of, of closeness and emotional intimacy. Is there anything that you say to them to try and help them kind of stay in that place? Well, one thing, you know, I think not just myself, but all of our team members really try to help people identify, even though it might be difficult to do, is to really decide, like, what are your limits? Hmm. What are you, how much caregiving are you willing to do? You know, are you willing to help with stretches? Are you willing to help with feedings? Are you willing to help with toileting or bathing? Like, how far do you want to go? And at what point do you want to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm able to, you know, help with stretches and bathings, but we don't feel comfortable going to the toileting stage. That's where we need to get an aid in because there's just some things we need to keep private and that's, you know, interfering too much with our, our lives. Sure. So, you know, these things are important to identify because again, it keeps those, those roles of spouses, of caregivers, like, you know, separated and clean, clean lines there, clean, clean barriers, boundaries. Also, you know, I, I say to people that there's, there's only one best friend. There's only one you know, wife, husband, girlfriend, partner, whatever, you can hire any of us. We come and go. Mm. But there, remember who you are to each other and don't get caught up too much in these other roles. We can get aides in. We can get nurses. We can get, you know, therapists. We can get whatever. But these are people that are strangers. They might be close to you, but they're still strangers. And if they leave and they go home after their shift, you guys are special to each other, and that's a role that has to stay intact. So don't forget it. That's a really nice sentiment. 
I agree. Uh, I'm curious, how do people respond to hearing from you that almost permission to maintain the integrity of that relationship? It's usually an emotional response because I think people forget. They get wrapped up in the disease. They get wrapped up in there's just so much chaos and everything going on around them that they, you know, kind of need a for better lack of term, like reality check of, wait a minute, you know, this, this disease doesn't have to take over everything. It's a piece of your life. It's not everything mm. unless you decide it to be, you know, I, I often tell people that I, I meet people who are living with ALS and I see people who are dying with ALS. Which one do you want to be? Wow. And it makes a, a, a big impact on you know how they see things mm-hmm. and there's a loss of control i mean i think we all live thinking we have a huge amount of control in our lives and you really don't <laughs> you have very very little control but there are things that you can control and that's how you're going to react to everything how you're going to take on what's going on and so this is one of those pieces how are you going to react how are you going to face this how are you going to go through this And this you can control. So what are you going to do with it? Sure. Before we let you go, uh, doctor, because I think some of our listeners will be curious about another aspect of your work. Can you give us a a kind of a brief description of how dream analysis can be incorporated into ALS care? Because I think that's that's something that's often not talked about and and, uh, many folks would would be curious. Mm -hmm. Two different ways. One is that I have found that it's sometimes difficult to open up to someone, Mm -hmm. especially if you've never talked to a therapist, someone like me. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's that stigma of if you're talking to a therapist that you're crazy. And I know Mm -hmm. that that's becoming less and less, which is good, but sometimes it's still there. But, you know, talking about your dreams, it's it's not as bad. And sometimes our dreams will bring up things that we don't want to talk about in, in our everyday living. It doesn't mm-hmm. always happen, but sometimes it does, especially like when you're having nightmares. And night, nightmares are just a way to get our attention of something that we are refusing pretty much to acknowledge in our, our everyday life. So when people don't necessarily want to talk about what's what's going on of their feelings or the disease necessarily, sometimes talking about, you know, well, what are you dreaming about is an easier way to get a conversation started or mm. to identify maybe what's bothering you that maybe you didn't you didn't see before. I also find on a on another end, I don't find and I just want to put this out there, I don't find end of life or or dying to be something to shy away from or not talk about. Or and there's another stigma there. It's like let's not talk about the right. white elephant in the room that this is a terminal illness and someone is going to die. There is nothing wrong with discussing discussing dying we're all going to die and it doesn't have to be a a dark thing that there can be beauty in being able to find peace at end of life not just for the patient but for the family Mm -hmm. and that's also part of my role and i have found that in patients not just with als but anybody at end of life they tend to start having some dreams about family members that have passed on, Mm. seeing them, seeing, you know, ships passing in the night, trains, traveling things. And and people will tell you about those dreams that they're having as they get closer 
to to their to their passing and they don't bring them up unless you talk about them and it's interesting to see the comfort that that brings the family and everybody when they start to say yeah i'm seeing my loved ones and you know they're welcoming me and that sort of thing and to talk about that because it also opens the conversation and this this doesn't matter what your religious beliefs are your you know moral belief it has nothing to do with that um, it can play into that, but it doesn't have anything to do with that. But it brings uh, up something that could be very difficult to talk about again, that dying. Like, what does that mean? Like, is are you scared? Are you at peace? Is it something that, you know, you, you still need to say goodbye to somebody? Is there something, a regret in your life, so it, an end you need to tie up with uh, someone you haven't talked to or you want to? And these are conversations that don't always just come out themselves but but dreams can can be the vehicle to get there that's really really interesting i think we probably need to have you back just to talk more about that and go into more into the dream analysis <laughs> with some depth because that's yeah that's a fascinating element that we hadn't really considered before so thank you for describing it in that way thank you again so much for joining us today uh, dr alaire altiero really interesting to hear about a subject that's often not discussed around als care and in a clinical setting and and i think hearing this will hopefully inspire some more folks to either have those conversations in their own homes and their own relationships or be willing to talk to their doctors and mental health professionals about some of the things they're experiencing so thank you this was really great thank you well, thank you again to Dr. Alaire Altiero for that illuminating conversation into issues of intimacy, physical and emotional, that arise uh, with, with families living with ALS. Really appreciate her spending some time with us today. As we said at the outset, it's not always the easiest subject to bring up, regardless of the setting. So we're grateful to Dr. Altiero for her input on a sensitive topic. That's all we have for you this week. Make sure to subscribe to the show at ConnectingALS.org or wherever you listen. And feel free to track us down on social media to send a question or offer some feedback. This week's show was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thank you all for listening, and we'll connect with you again soon.